right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome on board. This is the 79th episode of The Voice of One, The VU. This is for Wednesday, February 24, year of our Lord, 2021. Woody Cumbie here, your host, bringing you the heat wave blend of coffee, current events, faith, and FSU sports, all in about 20 minutes. That's right. It's a blazing hot 54. Well, it was 54 earlier today in the crossroads of America. And when it's 30 degrees warmer than it was just uh, a couple days ago, it feels like a, a heat wave, a heat wave. All that snow, that's melting away, melting away. Now, I take you then to true heat, true heat. In fact, the home of the heat. I take you to Coral Gables, Miami, Miami, Florida, where tonight your, your FSU Seminoles take on the Miami Hurricanes tonight, 8.30 tip, minutes away in Coral Gables. Knowles, ranked number 11 in the nation, sit atop the ACC standings, and they take their, their show on the road down to Coral Gables for an ACC tip tonight. Now, that's basketball, but let's talk about the football. No, not football. The football. The football. T-H-E, all caps, football. As in the briefcase. With the nuclear codes that someone has near the U.S. president at all times. They call it the football. Well, it turns out that Democrats, Democrats are concerned. They're afraid that Biden might just fumble. <laughs> he might just fumble the football. I bring you this from hotair.com. Here's the headline. Say, why are House Dems calling on Biden to give up full control of nuclear weapons? This is from Ed Morrissey, posted yesterday afternoon. Uh, yeah, it turns out in this story, uh, they are quoting... Politico, and it turns out that uh, nearly three dozen House Democrats have called on Biden to relinquish his sole authority to launch nuclear weapons. That's right. They say that uh, it's just too much for it to be in the hands of one person, especially this one person, right? <laughs> So anyway, they, uh, they're looking for it. They're looking for a committee, a committee approach about the whole thing. So yeah, they're just a little concerned. And uh, let's be honest, um, their concern may be well-founded as it relates to Biden. I mean, I know we've gone through all these years, these decades of the nuclear era, and we've not had much concern about the nuclear football being somewhere near the president and vice president, but now three dozen Democrats are concerned, uh, and maybe with good reason. I mean, did you hear him, Biden? I mean, did you hear his remarks when he memorialized the 50,000 lives lost to COVID? I don't know if you heard that the other night. Um, and, and by the way, certainly pausing to recognize such a grim mile marker was, 
was warranted. But man, uh, did you hear him? I mean, he had a difficult time even using a teleprompter. Uh, I mean, just, I, I, well, you have to listen to it for yourself. A couple different moments in an address in which he's reading from a teleprompter and the entirety of the thing lasts about, about 10 minutes. And yet there are two moments within this, within this address, which he had to have rehearsed, right? He had, he's addressing the nation. He had to have read through it. He had to have, have rehearsed it once or twice. And then on top of that, it's on a teleprompter. But uh, I don't know, just, just you decide. For, and it's even, I will say this, it's even more powerful when you can watch it and you can find it on YouTube. Just, just go to YouTube and put in like Biden, uh, coronavirus, 500K, something like that. You're looking for his uh, address about the 500,000 lives lost to uh, coronavirus. And you can find it. It's, it's there multiple times. And, and so when you see him, it's even more powerful. But I think you can get it even listening. So here, here's the first moment. Uh, take, take, take a listen to this. We have to resist viewing each life as a, as a statistic or a blur or on the news. Yeah, you just reached up on national TV and kind of gouged around in one of his eyes. And uh, then he got himself uh, maybe out of focus or something. And then that whole, uh, that word statistic, it's, uh, it, can be, it can be tough. It can be tough. Listen again. We have to resist viewing each life as a, as a statistic or a blur or on the news. Now, that was about three minutes in, but then the more significant one was about at eight, about eight and a half minutes in. So uh, take a listen to him here. We have to fight this together as one people, as the United States of America. That's the only way we're going to beat this virus, I promise you. The only way to spare more pain and more loss, the only way these millstones no longer mark our national mourning. These milestones, I should say, no, no longer mark our national mourning. Wow. It's even more compelling when you see him, when you see him, and the look on his face and the reaching for the word. It's sad. I continue to say what I said back during the campaign, and that is, who, who does this to their husband? Who does this to their loved one? It, it's, it's, uh, I, I tell you, I'd like to hear from an expert, an expert on cognition, an expert on dementia. I mean, someone who could speak openly and, and yet impartially and just really answer the question, where is he on this dementia journey? How much longer can he be expected to capably administer the most complex, the most significant job in the world? Wow. Uh, yeah, the Dems are concerned. I get it. And folks get it. Folks get it that he's not quite up to the job. And not only do they get it, 
that he's not quite up to the job. Not only did they get it that there was something not quite right about the election, but they see this struggle that he's having and is showing up in the presidential tracking poll, the daily tracking poll done by Rasmussen. It's pretty alarming, actually, the results. Alarming. Because uh, I've I've got here the results as they, they track it. It's a daily tracking poll. And they it's, it's called the Biden Approval Index History. So uh, every single day, they, they post the numbers from those who strongly approve of Biden's job performance, those who strongly disapprove. And those are the two significant numbers, the, the, those who are most feel the most. Then there's total approval and total disapproval. All right. So here's where he is as of today, February uh, 24. He, uh, people who strongly approve of his job performance. Now, c- keep in mind now, he's four weeks in. And here he is. And his, his strong approval rating is at 32%. His strongly disapprove rating just hit its all-time high. Well, I take that back. He tied, he tied this once early on. But he is up to 41% strongly disapproving. All right, so strongly approve, 32%. Strongly disapprove, 41%. That's a... That's, that's, and, and what they do is they compare those two numbers, and you either have a plus or a minus score or a tie, right? In this case, he's at minus 9%. He's upside down 9%. He's 9% more people disapproving than approving. Now watch this. Since the day he was inaugurated, he has never had a positive approval index. That's the ratio between, that's the difference between the strongly approve and strongly disapprove. He's never had more people strongly approving than those who strongly disapprove. He's never been in positive territory. He was tied on two days earlier this month. Otherwise, he has been upside down the entire time. And this is the most significant day, minus nine I mean, this is a guy who's four weeks in to the presidency after supposedly getting more votes than any human being in U.S. electoral history. Where are all those people? Where is the, the approval? Wow. It, 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 it's an amazing thing and alarming, really, and alarming, really, that we have someone who has so much supposedly electoral support compared to just no support for his policies for just four weeks in or his performance. I, I don't know that anyone's numbers have ever fallen as dramatically and so quickly. Amazing. All right, folks, I'll be back uh, with, well, I'll be back with a comment from a lieutenant general right after this.
<laughs> Free Fallen, Tom Petty, <laughs> October 1989. Oh, man, Joe knows the feeling. Joe knows it. All right, folks, now I take you to the occupied territory of Washington, D.C. Yep, they're looking into events of January 6th. And Nancy, she wants her own investigation. And her first pick to head up the probe is retired Army Lieutenant General Russell Honore. Now, he had some surprising things to say about his observation of events. Yeah, his observation of January 6th. He, uh, he was interviewed on left-friendly MSNBC, and he said this. He said, I was surprised that the Pentagon did not have those troops on standby. The FBI had a major failure in their intelligence. I think once this all gets uncovered, it was complicit actions by the Capitol Police, along with the sergeant-at-arms in the House and the Senate, end quote. Wow. Wow. Army Lieutenant General, retired, Russell Honore, he thinks, he watched it, just as a citizen, private citizen, he's just watching it. And as it unfolds, he thinks to himself, wow, look how thin that, look how thin that defensive line, look just, they have some, a few little bike racks, they have a, a, a few little Capitol Police, they have... They have, they, they're expecting a crowd of a million. They, they, they have no real barrier. They have no National Guard ready to come in. They, they, they're just not ready. And yet they're telling us now that they had intelligence ahead of time, that the Proud Boys, that Antifa, that all these different folks are coming there to, to create trouble. And yet, well, what he said was, once it all gets uncovered, hmm, it was complicit actions by the Capitol Police along with the sergeant-at-arms in the House and Senate. Wow. I'm telling you now, that would be fact-checked. That would be, uh, I mean, if someone on the, on the right said that, that would be mm, interesting, interesting. Well, it'll all be uncovered someday, someday, someday. Now, meanwhile, back to the issue of the Supreme Court. The Supreme Court, yes, behind the razor wire also. Uh, the Supreme Court shutting the door on President Trump and others that were bringing lawsuits that made it all the way up to the Supreme Court about the election, shall we call them, irregularities. Uh, and then the Supreme Court just shutting the door. We talked about that the other day. You saw it on the news. They won't even hear the cases. Won't even hear the cases. So anyway, I have some thoughts I'd like for you to consider. Now, they aren't my thoughts. They're the thoughts of a preacher in Australia. Though I think he may personally be from Singapore. I'm not sure. Maybe I, well, maybe Singapore. Anyway, his name is uh, Steve Ciccolanti. C-I-O-C-C-O-L-I-N-T-I. 
Chicolanti, I assume. This is Discovered Church. It's mainly an online church. And he recently shared a message uh, about the golden calf in uh, the book of Exodus. And in his message, there was a moment when he mentioned Trump's Supreme Court picks. And I thought it was a compelling moment in his message. So I'm going to let you listen to a couple minutes of, of the pastor uh, speaking on, on Trump and Trump's Supreme Court picks. L- listen to this. And not only that, as I said, the church, whether we can identify all the golden calves or not, we can certainly say we must be, the church must be worshiping golden calves because of the results. We had a golden opportunity, a born-again, at least pro-Christian, church-friendly president of the United States, vice president, born again, secretary of education, born again, secretary of housing, born again. All of this, born again. And we as a church failed to have discipled them, raised them up, and then advised them what to do with that power for four years. And nearly everything that they do can be undone within the first 30 days of a Biden-Kamala Harris administration. They didn't do anything that was the template that God gave me in Trump's unfinished business. You have to do certain things that cannot be undone. And God can do that. God has things that cannot be undone. We don't do it. And they didn't do it. They just did things that didn't deal with the issue. And one of the most important things I mentioned in that book, I believe, because of not my own wisdom, but because of the impartation of God, I said, this is the season for justice. I said that before he had a chance to nominate three justices to the Supreme Court. How many other presidents in the world, in the whole history of America, had the chance to personally nominate three justices to the Supreme Court? Three! The, the, the other guy that could beat him is George Washington because there was no Supreme Court. He got to nominate 12. After him was FDR, a time of radical change, World War II. He nominated nine. Then I think after FDR, it's Trump. And my question is, why when you had a chance, three chances, you never nominated once? a Bible-practicing, a Bible-believing, born-again, Protestant Christian. When America is considered to be a Protestant nation, and yet the Supreme Court is packed with people who are not representative. It's okay that there are Jews. It's okay that there are Catholics. But it's all Jews and Catholics. And it said Trump is going to be given a... He's in there as an avenger. He's there during a season of justice. And he must appoint either an outsider, which would have been someone like a born-again historian who has the largest collection of founding father documents in America. Who is that? David Barton. He knows the Constitution through and through, and he honors it. You should have put an outsider in. That's why you're there, Mr. Trump. But they didn't. They didn't put any outsider in. They put all of the career lawyers and the career judges to the Supreme Court. Next, They didn't put any born-again Christian. No one could advise Trump that maybe this is your legacy. Not just to say, I nominated three and they turned against you. 
The three justices did not stand for you because they're insiders. A powerful insight by the pastor, I think. And, and he failed to mention, by the way, on that run of naming born-again administration officials, he failed to mention the Secretary of State, Pompeo. So, yes, there were many high-level born-again Christians, and yet, when it came to the Supreme Court, not one, not one of the three was a Bible-believing, practicing, Protestant Christian. Yeah, I'd be curious of what you think. What do you think about that? You can let me know at vocast at yahoo.com, V-O-O-C-A-S-T at yahoo.com. By the way, I posted a link to this entire sermon. It's only about 20 minutes long, I think. And you can hear the entire thing on the, on the VU Facebook page. That's right, there's a VU Facebook page. I think most of you know where that is, but you can find it on Facebook. Put in Dark Roast VU in the search. It'll take you to the VUcast page, and you can find the link to the sermon there. All right, guys, thanks so much for being here tonight, and I'll see you. Oh, oh, the, the score. Oh, I, I think it's about Florida State 27, Miami 15. Early, early. All right, guys. Hey, thanks so much for being here. God bless you guys. Uh, stay safe. Stay strong in the Lord. And we'll see you back on Friday. Bye-bye now.